Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe or why you believe it. We think that it's important just to know that you're on a journey of discovering what it is that you do believe and uh, being open to that conversation. My name is Nathan Whitaker. My name is Ryan Harris. And today we're going to continue what we did last week. In fact, last week we thought we were going to kind of combine things into one uh, episode, and it turned out that we just talked too long, which is not a bad problem to have. Par for the proverbial course. <laughs> so we thought, hey, let's let's do this as long as we can, as long as we think it'll be interesting and helpful. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at something practically within the church that could change and just ask, do we need it? What, what if it changed? What if we got rid of it? What if we got rid of it as we see it? What would that look like? Or what if we modified it or, you know, like that kind of thing too. It could be somewhere in between. So we're trying to figure out what it could look like to be church in a way that uh, moves away from some of the problems that we've spent a year talking about and some of the problems that are becoming more and more apparent the more that this pandemic goes on and Trumpism continues and so on and so forth. So today, what we're going to talk about is preaching. Last week, we talked about money, so we just thought we'd try to scandalize as many people as possible and talk about two of the big things uh, in the room. One is money of the church, and the second is the way the church does things through preaching. I, I would venture to say that if you're not preaching in a church, many will wonder what in the hell you are doing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that goes across traditions. I think the closest where that's not the case would be in the most, uh, well, in the oldest traditions, whether that's Roman Catholic or the Orthodox tradition. Um, Quakers or friends or whatever, they don't, they don't have any sermon. Okay. Yeah. They well, they don't have sit, any at all, right? Right, yeah. right. But I mean, and then, you know, that kind of thing. And but yeah, there are a few out there, but, but, and there are some, like you said, like in the Roman Catholic Church, they have homilies, but it's not the center of the, of right. the service. However, I mean, I've not been to very many. I would think that if it never happened, people would think that was strange. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I think, as you just said, those qualifications, I think, probably most located in the Protestant church. Preaching is closely identified to the identity of the congregation, the identity of the denomination, the movement, whatever you want to call it, uh, and the pastor. We might be able to talk about that a bit today, but I just want to mostly focus on preaching, and we're going to unpack what preaching looks like we, we haven't done a lot of the practical conversation here of what it really is like to preach, what it's like to be on the other side of a preaching relationship, because you've got two people here that have done that and do that often. Um, and then we're going to start to ask the question, do we need sermons? Do we need preaching? And then, as we did last time, we'll finally get to some sort of answer that both of us, which will be different for each of us, what we have or as an answer. Stay I think tuned. it will. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you got to listen to the end of the until the end of the yeah, episode. That's where you'll we never know. Break. And then, how will you sleep at night? <laughs> um, so, 
What's it like preaching in your tradition? So when I was preaching, which I don't really do much anymore, um, but when I was, it's for me, it was very much a reflection of, I think, both uh, evangelical culture in the, my age, you know, this era in terms of the style of how I was taught to preach and um, even like not just the style, but the the kinds of scriptures you gravitated towards for preaching, you know, like if you weren't forced to, for some reason, if they just said, you know, this may not happen for you all, but if someone just said to me, preach on whatever you want, which ones are the ones I'm going to be the most likely to, you know, pick for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, it was very much a reflection of that, what I was taught and the method and all of that. And for me, it was kind of a mix of the, you know, in my, world. A lot of preachers are the uh, very bombastic, um, you know, sometimes you think of the Southern preacher kind of thing, even if they're not from the South, they still have that kind of style. And my grandpa and my dad were very much that kind of preacher. You know, they would get excited or they would get the volume would go up and down depending on, you know, what part of the sermon they were in or how important it was or that kind of thing. And that was never really my style. I was never like I never yelled at anybody or any part of any sermon that I ever did, Um, partly because of my personality, but also just because I think in some ways the way they teach you to preach in that world has kind of moved on from there a bit. It still exists. Don't get me wrong. But when they're teaching you how to preach in seminary or whatever, um, they don't. Yeah, I don't know. That would still be okay, but that's not really taught. That's more Mm, of a personality kind of thing. Anyway, um, so I was taught to do what's called expository preaching. Um, Not that like I was taught the other other kinds also, but that was kind of presented as the way, the best way to do it. And um, in case you don't know, the idea behind expository preaching is you pick one subject of or one section of text um, and your whole sermon is basically from that pericope, from that section of text. And Paul works really well for this because Paul is kind of structured as sermons, yeah, you know. Right. I mean, you can do it, you can do it, I think, pretty much anywhere, but but Paul is the easiest place to do that kind of sermon for. And so you start at the beginning and you go through each verse in your section, and then that's your sermon. Now you might reference other parts of the Bible as appropriate, but for the most part, if I'm preaching from Romans 8 and I'm doing verse 1 to I don't know, 30, wherever the break is that you that you take, you're going to cover pretty much all of the stuff that's said in there in some way. I mean, some might get more than others because you have a central point or theme you're trying to get across. But the idea was like, if you preach that way, it's somehow more biblical than like if, say, I decide I want to preach about joy and here's a message about joy and I can just do whatever I want, for example. Plus, I mean, what if I don't like joy? She might be a terrible person. Um, So there is... She usually is. Yeah, I know. Well, it's like if you name your kid Joy or you name your kid, you know, Christian or if you name your kid any of these things, you're just asking for trouble, right? Because it's like if you name your dog Loki... Well, I don't know what you expect when the dog breaks things and gets into trouble. But um, anyway, uh, where was I going with that? Oh, so the idea was that was somehow the more correct way of preaching in that it, it like this idea that it confines you to what the text actually says and leaves you less room for what you can bring in outside of that. Now, 
In some ways that's true and in some ways that's silly, right? Because every time you're shaping a message, even if you're only doing it from six verses of text, well, the whole way you shape all of that is not in the text. So you're like, there is no way to have a quote, entirely textual sermon. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Unless I suppose you read it and then you sit just down. read it. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, like it, I guess Quakers. that would be a very textual sermon. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, that was kind of presented, like taught as the best way to do it. And there would be modifications for like, you know, if you wanted to do a sermon on prophetic literature, it's different than if you're doing in gospels or, you know, whatever. Sure. So my style when I did it, though, was more of a rather than getting real excited, mine was more of a um, I felt like I was more of a teaching approach but very much in the sermonic structure. So my style was more like teaching, but I would also try and, you know, give people a, what we would call a life change goal, right? So big or small, something that should be different about their life after hearing this message, um, you know, something they should be doing that they're not, or something that God wants them to know, or, you know, that kind of thing. And then for me, just because I'm me, I, I mostly, rather than getting excited, I tried to just work dry humor in, into there. And just <laughs> that usually worked for me okay. Like I said, I never yelled at anybody. Um, yeah, so that was kind of my style. And then just, I would, you know, we would often do, instead of using a lectionary, we would do a sermon series. So you'd pick however many weeks. Sometimes that was like, we're going to do a series on Colossians, or we're going to do, sometimes it'd be a series on a particular topic or a particular character, right? So we did a series about uh, David or Moses or Mary or whoever. Um, I don't think we ever did Mary, though we probably should have. Um, anyway, it could be anything like that. And I found that that approach too had some strengths and then sometimes it was not the best. So anyway, that was kind of my approach to it, how I would do that. And unlike some, um, I know yours are more in this this uh, this range, but uh, unlike some, my ser our sermons in our world were usually longer rather than shorter. Um, I think for me, it was average at least twenty five minutes. Half hour was usually what about where I was, um, and I know that's not the case in every <laughs> in every church. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of how I did it when I was doing that, and I guess. The only other thing I would say is that I would always try to have like, what is my main idea? You know, what is the thing I want people to know? And then what can they do with it? Because I, you know, you hear a lot of sermons and it's like, that was an okay sermon, but I'm not sure what it means for my life or anything like that. So I'm not saying I always succeeded, but I always tried to have some kind of practical, here's what, okay, here's all these things we've learned from this text. And what does it actually mean for your life? And sometimes that was very easy. And sometimes it's like, I don't know either. So yeah, I have no idea. Right. Um, so yeah, that was the kind of thing I just was, I always tried to make sure I didn't, my mom has this saying where sometimes she'd say, well, that not about me, but just like, you know, you hear a sermon somewhere and you, that'd be like, a, well, that was a sermon in search of a point, you know, and that's, that's something I never <laughs> wanted to do because that would happen at, at, uh, at, at college and seminary a lot when they let the students preach. Some of them were excellent. You know, they're going to be great preachers for the rest of their lives. And some of them were still learning and did okay. And some of them I'm like, well, you just talked for 40 minutes, but I couldn't tell you what you talked about. You read a lot of scripture. <laughs> yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah. Hmm. 
So what was the process like for you constructing a sermon? What are things that you think about putting together a sermon? Um, You mentioned one already, which is a a takeaway, a spiritual point, something to change your life. If they remember nothing else, what is the thing I want them to walk away with? That's always what I try to start with. Um, because I know how much some people forget, you know, I, here, I, one time we did a series, I did a sermon on Colossians chapter one, and then we did a series on Colossians like two, three years later, I did the same exact sermon. (laughs) Nobody noticed nobody. What, like one person who told me they loved it the first time told me they loved it the second time and had no idea it was the same one. So, um, (laughs) I always try to say, what's the one thing that, that is usually where I would start. Um, it would somewhat depend on what kind of sermon it was. So is it part of a larger series, right? Am I working with other people who are preaching? Like if I do one week and then this pastor does the other week and, you know, like how does that line up? Um, So if we were doing a series and had a larger goal, how does what I'm saying then fit in or drive towards that? Um, But, uh, or if it was a, if it was a topic I wasn't very interested in, it was also kind of like, okay, well, that doesn't mean that nobody is. So there are people other than me who are in the room. So, you know, how do we do that? But um, yeah, I would usually start with what's the one thing I want them to know if they, I mean, hopefully they know more than that, but if they only like, what's my main idea, that's where I would start. And then um, from there, I would figure out, like, okay, so this is the text I'm working with. I've got my main idea. How do I get to there, right? So if I read this portion of scripture, how do I get from the scripture to there? And then I I never was one to have like, you must have three points or you must have five points or I never followed um, a strict structure that way. Um, although three or four was usually pretty good, you know, just because mm. it usually works. And that would you know, what those would be would just be hopefully driving towards that, whatever that main point was, but also not just, not just driving towards it, but hopefully developing it in a way that is also, you know, so it's like, I'm getting there if I die doing it, but also let's find these things that are interesting along the way that hopefully get us there too. And then after that, the process is, okay, so here's the point I've got them. Now, what do they do with it, right? So what are some practical applications? Even if it's only one, you know, what can I ask them to do as they leave or this week or in their relationships or, you know, that kind of thing. And sometimes that was a very small thing like, hey, what if you were kind to everyone this week? (laughs) Probably wouldn't say it that way, but, you know, sometimes it was that. And sometimes it was even more specific of like, um, so we learned this about uh, how we learned this thing in Israel's story where they did this thing that was terrible and then God redeemed them or whatever. So how do you see your story in there? And then can you do this like they did or not like they did or, or whatever? That's a bad example. But something like that where I just wanted to make sure it wasn't just me talking and saying, look, I'm smart because... I've heard sermons like that too, and they're obnoxious. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, you went to school, I get it. You know, some <laughs> Greek, also great, you know. But uh, I tried not to not to do that, also. Okay. Yeah. For me, my preaching actually 
culturally is a lot similar um, in terms of the content, not the style. So the hmm. style is going to be very different in a Lutheran church, but the content in terms of what uh, what's acceptable or what's comfortable is expository. Uh, now, we use the lectionary to guide our exposition, but it's expository. Um, I want to actually, as I say that, I wonder if I'm actually, if that's just where my congregation is, because that's as far as I'll go into the tradition, because most of the time, Lutheran pastors preach doctrinally, hmm. um, I would say. It's a lot like, so the central point would be some sort of uh, illumination of a doctrine, usually justification by faith alone or whatever. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was generally driven by the text. So there's like this weird balance that goes on. Um, I would say topical sermons make Lutherans very nervous because it doesn't feel biblical to them. Mm. I did it for two years here. And some of uh, almost uniformly, people said when I switched to a topic or to an exposition that they felt more comfortable in the sermons. Like I was really driving with them, even though I really didn't change the way I talked about stuff. It was just we're following a text to do it now instead right. of going around. Uh, I personally like topical. I think that's where the doctrinal piece kind of fits for me. Like. Doctrinal sermons are topical sermons. They're just mm -hmm. through doctrine and through the lectionary. So you find the doctrine within the Old Testament. Usually it's the New Testament or Paul. Very rarely is it Jesus. Jesus is more highlighting. Well, the why would we want to talk about that guy? <laughs> what does he know? Yeah. Well, um, I think they eventually, they, they end with Jesus as the crescendo to the doctrine. Mm -hmm. So, um, Jesus highlights the the cynic in me would say Jesus is being used to make the doctrine more true. Um, I think to be more fair, it's that Jesus demonstrates the the justification and the doctrines that flow from that for them best. Hmm. Um, and so most Lutherans are actually, I think, more comfortable with topical sermons if they're phrased as doctrine. When they're phrased as um, just typical evangelical type structures, then it's not very comfortable. Hmm. There are a few exceptions. I did this one called uh, Becoming Christian, where becoming Christian was the end of the life of a Christian, not the beginning of the life of the Christian. And that really resonated with a lot of people. Um, it was like... Uh, what were the things? It's kind of common parlance now. You've got the behave, belong, mm -hmm. become, believe, that is. So there's the four. Be, usually the way we do it is we, you become a Christian, then you believe the things that a Christian needs to believe, you behave like the Christian should behave, and then you become one, or you belong to the Christian community. Whereas I was arguing for the exact opposite, right? Yeah, you, let's invert that. Yeah. Yeah, just invert it. And that was really powerful. People like that. But generally, most people didn't like topical sermons, um, at least in this context. I'm sure in others it wouldn't now, be the case. Why didn't they like it? Was it because it wasn't as doctrinal in its structure? Is that why they didn't same, like same it? Same reason as what you said. It doesn't feel as biblical mm -hmm. to them. Right. Well, there's also, I think, just a, it's not just 
preachers who get comfortable with a certain format. People who hear it all the time also yeah. get used to it. And and whether anyone tells them this or not, and someone might have, but whether anyone tells them this or not, like they think that's the way to do it too, because that's how pastors always done it. Or every yeah. pastor have has always done it that way. And um Lutheran pastors run into this problem too, where their predecessor may preach complete law gospel, which is a it's a hermeneutic. It's not a uh, sermon structure, but many pastors have turned it into a sermon structure where half of it, well, let's, let's be honest, five, six of it is law and how terrible people are. And then there's a little bit of gospel at the end. But don't um, worry, yeah. Jesus and yeah, grace. Yeah, don't worry, Jesus. So uh, I've learned that from certain Lutherans, if you don't preach that way, they think you're being heretic, uh, which is crazy to me. Um, but I, I imagine the same would be true in some of your circles. If you're not being emotive and you're not being spirit filled or whatever, you're probably. Yeah, there's a lot of variation there. I think in some ways, like in some ways, the Pentecostal world has moved on somewhat from Pentecostal old time preaching, but it also hasn't, you know, like it, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag, I think, depending on where you are, depending on what your church is. I mean, in some ways they preach just like evangelicals preach. And in some ways, and in some people, you still get a lot of, you get more of that old timey type thing, even if it's not a Southern thing, Southern style. I mean, Um, yeah, it's kind of a mix, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Well, for me, like uh, the process, so that's the way that it goes, a little bit of the content, of course, and a bit of the style there at the end. Um, That's all that law gospel is it's just a certain style um of prose <laughs> surprise surprise yeah. we do prose from our our uh, pulpits anyway um the way i kind of think about it is i i think about what's the one thing i want somebody to take away as well like if if there was nothing else and sometimes it's so like maybe it's even in the beginning of the sermon that i really want them so i'll say hey if you don't think of anything else after you leave here. This is it. Pay attention. Yeah. This is the thing I yeah. want you to take away. Yeah. Sometimes I would say at the beginning and at the end. And sometimes yeah, right. <laughs> I, I would, I was more of the style of, because I know how attention spans work. It's better to say things more than once rather yep, than, right. even if it's more rhetorically satisfying to build, to spend your whole time building up to the, you yep. know, one point and then you give it to them. It, uh, that also takes a lot of rhetorical skill to do that well. And it's harder yeah. to do, I think. Right. Yeah. And like you, um, I my preparation is a lot about how do I get them there? Now, because of who I am, I always think, okay, here's the boring way to do it, which is usually the way that I've been taught, the way I have heard the sermon a million times. And so I think, how can I do it differently? Right. Um, and I know pastors do this all the time because if they're preaching, especially pastors that are preaching from the lectionary, I'm sure you have your own like lectionary and canon that you go through, as you were saying at the beginning, what's the one mm-hmm. verse or passage you would use. Um, but we have a three-year lectionary. So every three years, if you're preaching from the lectionary, you're preaching the same text, mm-hmm. the three of them. And so it can get really boring really quick if you don't uh shake it up. Now I don't do lectionary, but a lot of people do and they try to find new ways around it. And that's how they learn about the text. And it's great for me. It's more, okay, what's the boring way, the more traditional way. And now how can I do that in a contrarian way? How can I 
deconstruct it? How can I look at it differently? And so forth. So one of my big kicks is we're reading through the Bible this year. Um, I haven't ever done that before, but we're reading through the Bible, preaching through it. And uh, the whole thing is let's supplant the idea of the holy God with a loving God, because we have holiness is the thing that drives a lot of Lutheran theology. I say, is that allowed? Yeah. What if it's love? Mm. Um, I don't care what's allowed, man. Yeah, I, mean, I know, I'm doing I know, this I know. Podcast, but that's but... what I'm just saying. It's just like, I didn't know you were, I didn't know that was an option. I thought God was holy and that was it. Yeah. I, I have found, just as an aside, and this is great, like I have found that if you do things scripturally and doctrinally fine that's outside of the status quo, it's really fun to watch people squirm. Like mm -hmm. you, you try to say, well, look, am I saying something that's wrong here? Uh, and they have to come up with an answer that's beyond well this is the way we've always done it and Even for a lot that's of people what the answer is yeah that's the that. answer they right. can't say that because they know it and yeah. it's just a lot of fun because as a contrarian myself if somebody likes to poke the bear and see what happens if they can't come up with an answer that's oh well we've always done it so you have to do it this way sorry i don't care how you've always done it is that what's really in the text is that's really what's going on here um, so I actually don't get as much pushback and it could be because no, not very many people pay attention to me. That's true too, but that's I don't get as much pushback. What's that? So that's true for every preacher. Yeah. That's yeah. true for <laughs> inside and outside of the mm -hmm. church. Um, so yeah, I, I try to think, okay, what's kind of an edgy thing, not an edgy in a bad way, but in a deconstruction way of what can we do to rethink this. And uh, so my expectation when you come and you hear me preach is that I expect you to think, plain and simple. I expect you to think. Now, it requires people building up a tolerance to my sermons because when you first start listening to them, it can be drinking from a fire hose. It can be totally like, what the hell is he talking about? I have no idea how this applies to my life because I'm deconstructing something that leads to something else later or whatever. Um, but my expectation of people is that they come with their brains and that they actually think about their faith. Uh, sometimes outside of the box, probably more often than not outside of the box, but certainly think about it. And so therefore my sermons are typically as long as yours are, um, sometimes 25 longer. to 30 minutes. Huh? Sometimes longer. Sometimes longer, yeah. Uh, and that is a whole nother thing, right, uh, within church. Uh, there's this great story, a guy in my congregation, he was on the board, and he comes and he brings it to the board that I'm preaching too long of sermons. And I'm like, ugh, this is something we need to talk about on the board when our congregation's falling apart. Yes, um, yes is yeah. the answer. Because my long sermons are making it so that people aren't coming and giving enough money or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, I talked to this psychiatrist one time or psychologist one time and said oh, that wow. people's, <laughs> people's attention spans aren't long enough to be able to sit there for, for two hours or for two hours, for um, 40 minutes to listen to a sermon. And I'm like, like, this is one of those things where, you know, you've been taught 
a lot more and you have a lot more experience than the person. So how do you talk to them without like saying, well, actually I hate that word, you know, actually. (laughs) So I always say, yeah, it's kind of interesting. There's a study done a while ago where people would ask what was going on in a movie or a Ted talk or whatever. And they could tell you, even though those Ted talks are 25 to 40 minutes long or Mm -hmm. this, that, and the other. And he just kept on going back to his right. psychologist friend. It was it's like it was come something on. else. People listened to Obama for an hour at a time. People listened to Trump rant about nothing for like two and a <laughs> half hours. Like people will pay attention now, not to everybody, right? But I'm just right. saying, like clearly, it's possible. This idea that people can only pay attention for like two minutes and then they're done. Well, for some people, sure, but it's not always the case for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not all the time. Like there's this wonderful lady in my congregation. She's fantastic. And she came up to me last week and said, Pastor, I'm really sorry, but I just, I found your sermon boring. (laughs) And I said, Hey, thanks for that feedback. You know, that sometimes happens. Sometimes people don't like what's being said. Sometimes it feels like it's disconnected. Sometimes I'm not really preaching it very well. Right. And, you know, it just is what it is. Um, fortunately, I had other people tell me that particular sermon stuck out to them. So they were really happy about well, it. And it didn't kill but me. See, but see, that's the thing about preaching, right? Like there'd be times where I'd be like, yeah, after you get done, you're like, man, that felt really good. I was good communicator. God was doing something. It was great. And you get no feedback whatsoever. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Not even barely an acknowledgement that anyone said anything that day. And then there'd be ones where I, you know, I kind of felt like I phoned it in because you didn't have enough time or you thought it made sense. And then you get up there and you're kind of like, shit, this. Yeah. You ever, you ever recognize a flaw in your own sermon while you're doing it? Yeah. Oh, it's the worst. And you feel terrible and you get, you sit down and you're like, well, it's a good thing that God's here because, man, I really shit the bed on that one. And then like you'd have like six people say that was really good. And like that was, you know, and it's just like, so I was like, okay, whatever. I'm glad. Yeah. Clearly, clearly the spirit's working here regardless. Regardless, uh, in spite of me sometimes, because I could never tell what I thought was, I mean, sometimes you can, but sometimes it'd just be like, okay, well, I'm glad, you know, (laughs) or the other one was like, someone would say, well, it's like, you said this in your sermon and you're like, no, (laughs) yeah, I didn't say that at all, you know, (laughs) somebody Um, said, I forgot what it was, but somebody said that once and it was the most horrifying thing. I'm like, I I would never say that. I had. One one time where I it wasn't the sermon wasn't about this, but I mentioned the story of the the Syrophoenician woman with the you know, and I said, I said, I think all I said was, I don't know what's going on in this story, but maybe God wants us to ask for things more than once sometimes. That's all I said. It was just like an aside. I don't even know if it was in my notes, right? And then this guy came to me a week later and told me this story about how something good happened in his life, and he knew it was because he prayed three times like I told him to do, and I'm like. <laughs> What I didn't, that's not what, I mean, I'm glad it worked, but that's not, yeah. I didn't give you a magic spell here. It's not a formula. You know, I never said that, but yeah. it's funny. It's, it's something, it's quite the experience. You know, I imagine anyone who's listening, who's preached before knows exactly what we're talking about, but it's hard because like, you don't have to, you're not just explaining something, you're teaching something and you're not just explaining and teaching. You're also having to communicate effectively. Right. And you're not just having to communicate verbally. You're trying to connect with people emotionally, whether that's through humor or, um, you know, 
some kind of like uh, something you're trying to get them to change or maybe anger or whatever. And you're trying to help people connect to God. And like you're doing all of this at once, supposedly within 20 to 30 minutes from a week of work that may or may not have been really good, right? Like it's yeah. a hard thing to do. It's a, it's a hard thing to preach. Yeah. Uh, and that's g- great because I want to start exploring why we preach. And you name several of those. We preach for a connection to God. I think that's probably one of the primary ones. Um, a change in life, mm-hmm. uh, whether that is recognizing who God is or how we should respond to God's work. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are two different ways that our lives can change because of what God does. Um, what What are some other reasons we preach? Why do we do it? I think like one of the things I was taught, and I think I did kind of see a role for myself as a pastor or when I was preaching was um, there is an element of teaching what's in the Bible and not, I mean, not just for knowledge, like trivial pursuit kind of sense, but there is some idea of like the reason the pastor is preaching is because the pastor or whoever they are has some kind of knowledge or training that, that, others don't. And so how do we use that for the benefit of everybody, right? Like I always worked really hard against this idea that I had some kind of closer to closer connection to God than everybody else um because I don't think that pastors do. I mean, I think they're like not in this or at least not in the sense of access, right? Like everybody's got the same access to God. God speaks to different people differently, sure. But um, I always tried to, people would say, well, like, you should pray because you're the pastor kind of stuff. And it's yeah. Like, well, yeah. no, right? <laughs> Why don't you give it a try for a change? Anyway, yeah. um, but there is something to the idea of, like, uh, education, but not just not just in your brain, but, you know, there is like that's why they we send pastors to seminary and this kind of thing. The idea is that they learn things that the average person doesn't know about the Bible and how to, you know, teach that. Um which I think is both true and problematic, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think, yeah, I think there is an educational element to it for sure. And I think that's becoming more and more apparent as biblical literacy goes down and I mean, frankly, that's why we're doing, or part of the reason we're doing this year through the Bible is just so that we we get used to the language and the way that the Bible talks because we're so disconnected from it, making our own God. And, you know, I could get onto a hobby horse about that, but I'm more interested in, let's learn what the scriptures actually tell us about God and the journey God's people have gone on. Mm-hmm. Um, not Not for trivia, like, there are fun trivia pieces like, you know, well, yeah, bears come and kill some plenty kids of weird because, shit in the Bible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is just phenomenal and horrible all at the same time. I do think there's um, an element of what's the right word? Persuasion, maybe, but not. I think there might be a better word, but the idea that whoever is preaching has some kind of message from God that doesn't necessarily mean God sent them a manuscript that you then read. Right. Um, But there's something I always still do believe, but there's something about, it's not just the person up there preaching. Um, Even though he or she wrote it or put it together, like there is something about the spirit is working in the, the message that is being given and through the message and was in some way involved with shaping it and how mm-hmm. people hear it and all of this stuff too. So there is um, like 
persuasion towards a goal perhaps or towards a life change like like you said earlier but um maybe that's also just kind of fleshing out some of these other things like there is a connection to god through what is being said but it's not just not like in a lot of different ways i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah i think for the lutherans out there that'd be kind of divine are connected to our idea of the divine call that god calls you know, in our case, men, but mm-hmm. men and women to certain congregations in order to lead them through that particular time. Do, do they always do it wonderfully? Of course not. Is there sometimes horrible and chaotic things that happen? Absolutely. Um, but generally, those people are called uh, with a message, quote unquote, from God generally to lead them through a particular time, whether that is a year to 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's where Lutherans would feel very comfortable saying, yeah, the preacher has a message to bring to the people to help them through this stage of life in a congregation, stage of life in their own life, or whatever it might be. Um, definitely. I think there's a, also a, a kind of like a role of, what's the right word? Like, I want to say encourager. That's uh, something like along the lines of like, you don't only, well, at least I most I hope most people don't you don't only preach to say this is bad let's fix it right <laughs> there's also an yeah. element of this is bad we can do it right or right um actually this thing is really good good job you know like uh there, there's that element too of like helping people like the world is really shitty but you can make it because god is doing this yeah, or because right. god will help you do that or um there is very much like a, maybe even like a coach kind of approach to things Hmm. that you can do through preaching um like an encouragement of like yeah i know things are about as bad as they can be but god is also doing xyz or whatever yeah i like that i think a lot of those not all of them but i think a lot of them fall under the function of what it means to be a spiritual leader spiritual Mm -hmm. advisor spiritual guardian maybe even um And what's kind of unique about being a pastor is that you get to do those things for a lot of people at once as you preach and let the Holy Spirit, not let, but, you know, the Holy Spirit will use whatever it is that you're doing to accomplish those aims. Of course, we bear responsibility to do that well and to do it without abuse and so on and so forth. But uh, the Holy Spirit uses the word to accomplish amazing things right right and, and i think that can really help so that you like there's a tremendous amount of responsibility for preaching like you should do your best you should try really hard you should do all of that but you can also trust the spirit that like you know you don't have to be perfect like she'll still make it work even you know like it's important to do the best you can but also you're gonna fail sometimes and that's okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know like nobody is the perfect communicator all the time and that's okay, you know. So that's uh, kind of what preaching's like for us as people who have preached. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what, uh, why we do it and some of the good things. Um, what are some of the challenges that we've noticed in preaching before we get to the question? Because the challenge are going to bear on all that to really, I hope, force the question, should we have preaching still in our churches? Or, yeah. Do we need it? Like, yeah. Do we need it? Yeah. Um, what, what are, what's one major challenge that you've noticed around preaching? Um, 
you know, one t- one thing that's tough is like you put somebody up there and they can say literally whatever the hell they want, right? And if, you know, the idea is that like good pastors will not say things that are not good. However, I've heard just in my own life sermons from people who were not like, you know, evil people that um, some things that were very hurtful and damaging and not great, you know, Um, not to mention what can happen if you put somebody up there who is like uh, a narcissist or is, you know, manipulative or any of those toxic things that pastors can sometimes be. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that one of the problems with it is just the sheer amount of authority and power you give somebody by putting them in that role that it, um, it can create like sometimes unintentionally, I think often unintentionally can, can cause harm, but sometimes not so unintentionally like how many times have you you know we don't have to just talk about the celebrity pastors who say and do terrible things mm-hmm. you know you've how many stories of like there was a story a, a friend a friend of mine his parents they no longer go there but they went to this church where the pastor went on some rant about i'm not kidding italian space lasers changing the votes in the last election and the people in the church should make sure they were armed kind of bullshit so they don't go to that church anymore which you know good good but i'm just saying like like you put somebody up there and they now hopefully in a healthy church they would never get to that point and if they did that would be the last thing they ever said there but that's not the case you know like in some places you put somebody up there they have and like people listen to you in such a way that you can really do some damage. And like I said, hopefully if that happens, it's unintentional, but sometimes it's not even unintentional. So there's just a lot of authority and power that it gives somebody because it's not just somebody up there being persuasive. It's somebody up there that in some way is thought to be speaking on God's behalf. Yeah. Yeah, that is a very scary one for me. And it was I don't think for it, me too, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't think it matters where you are. Uh I don't know about non-Protestant traditions, but certainly within Protestant traditions, the amount of power we give a pastor to be able to speak for God is just bonkers. It, and it's not like I think that pastors do that, can do that, should do that. But also, man, that gets that gets precarious really quickly. Even like I said, with any even with a pastor who has nothing but the best intentions and loves their people and all that, like, you know, it can happen. It can be yeah. and then it's hard to fix <laughs> afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we it, it creates a lot of toxic behaviors too, right? It creates uh I mean anybody who's anybody listening to Christian podcast right now is listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And we see what happens in that kind of culture where, of course, that's a celebrity pastor. So it's a bit different than but most he didn't of our start out as one. Right. The, Mars Hill had like 150 people in it or something yeah. at first, you know, and the, the misogyny and other things that are just so rampant because of his perceived authority as God's spokesman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, the problem comes, of course, when uh, that power is more enabled rather than challenged. I mean, part of it is that, yes, if you're going to have somebody speak in the middle of the 
auditorium of the church from the pulpit, whatever you want to call it for a lengthy amount of time, once a week, then, you know, there's going to be power in that. How you deal with that power is really important. Uh, and at the best I could say, we just haven't really thought that through. I don't think at the worst I could say, we don't care to think it through right. because well, of who pastors are. We also like the, we imagine that some of us or all of us in some way like being in that role, even if we don't, like there is something to that where it's like, I mean, that feels good, doesn't it? I mean, it always was scary to me, but even if I'm being honest, somewhere inside, there was something that felt good about people seeing you that way. I'd like to say that wasn't the case, but it was the case, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I imagine I'm far from the only person who that's true of. But but even like the other, like kind of related to all of that is that we forget sometimes how easy it is to emotionally manipulate people, even if that's not our goal. And I mean, especially yeah. in like, so a normal evangelical service you have people come together, you have them sing these songs that are very emotional experiences, right? So you you teach them to um, feel a lot of things and feel connected to God when, during the music and the music is all very emotional and it builds and crescendos. And so like, and then that ends and you go right into the preaching where then the preaching is then also this experience, this journey of like an emotional roller coaster or very much you know, hyping people up or making them sad or whatever it is you're doing. And then also we ask for money in there somewhere. And then at the end, you know, <laughs> there's some kind of usually some kind of response altar call in that world, which again is really hard then to not like you're, you're playing on people's emotions all the time. And I don't know that using emotion is a bad thing. I think it's actually something that we should do. It's part of communication. It's part of being human. But again, it's really easy to to have unintended consequences. And I mean, we're all inherently selfish. So it's easy to find yourself manipulating people. And then even though that wasn't your necessarily your goal, right? Because our first response, all of us, is to how do I benefit from X, Y, or Z? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? um, so it's just something like, and even in non-evangelical settings where you the music may not be the same and it may not be structured the same, the whole experience is crafted towards something and preaching is a part of that. And it's not, it's not by itself. It's not in a vacuum. And I think that we sometimes think of it as, well, I didn't do any of it. I didn't even say anything bad. It's like, well, okay, but everything working together also gives people a message. Um, yeah. That in some yeah, ways there's... resonates more than the words I speak in a sermon. Yeah, like I was just thinking, <laughs> some of the Lutherans might be saying, "Well, that's not us. We don't like emotions." Bullshit. But that's yeah. bullshit. Yeah. We we have actually some people will say five to seven times that we go on this roller coaster of shame and relief. Well, exactly. I mean, I can't remember. I can't. Or how many times have you told me of like the whole? The, a lot of the message is telling people how sinful and terrible and yeah. bad they are, yeah. and then oh, but don't worry. Here's some relief. Here's Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. It's same manipulation. It's just culturally, it looks a lot different because we're Germans and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So the power that comes from preaching is just amazing. And, you know, I'm not saying that that conversation never takes place. I just don't think that that is, it's certainly not central to the act of preaching of what we do with that power. 
And I honestly do not remember like any class session really focused on that. It might've come up as like a, a side here and there. I know pastors don't talk about it because when you I get out into the field, ever talking about it in any of the three schools that I yeah. went to either. Yeah. Isn't that strange? Like, yes. <laughs> I mean, yes and no, right? Like, yes, it should be something that is done, but it's not super surprising if, in, in one sense, because um, like like we've been talking about, it's easy to not realize that's what you're doing, or we like it, or somewhere in between in a lot of cases, probably. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think a second one that is closely tied to this, a second major problem, and I'm sure this is true in your circles too, it just would look a lot different, I think, is that the pastor becomes the biblical scholar and yeah. expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is certainly power connected to this one too, um, but it just it what what our preaching culture and structure communicates is more important to me than the actual content and style. What it's communicating is is we all need to be quiet. Why this guy, usually guy, says stuff about the Bible that's true mm-hmm. and that we all need to pay attention to. Um, for our lives or for whatever, not just in the moment, but it needs to be applied to. And the what that does to people is just crazy. I, I say this um, with deep kindness and um, sadness at the same time for this guy. There's this guy who was part of my congregation when I first got here. He's 89 years old, and he was terrified of not being forgiven and loved by God. He's a lifelong Lutheran and he was in the like the culture of Lutheranism here in Fort Wayne. And he didn't have something, and I mean this in the best way possible, he didn't have something basic under his Well, and that's control. not his fault. No, 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 yeah. not at all. That's what it you're saying. Not his fault. It, that's, that's the problem yeah. with the power of yeah. the pastor. And uh, he actually had to leave the church because the way that uh, leave my congregation because the way that I preach is not in that comfort mm-hmm. of salvation way um, every single week. But he had grown to learn that structure of preaching so much so that when he wasn't getting it, he was actually terrified that he was going to go to hell. Yeah. And I just. That that is such a devastating blow. Not because I thought I was doing anything wrong, but I just felt something like, ah, this this guy who's a lifelong Lutheran and he's in this place. We have done our job, or at least our perceived job, of teaching him what we don't want to teach him. Right? Mm-hmm. That culturally, it, it's been communicated. You need your pastor to tell you you were forgiven, and if right. you don't receive that. And boy, is that powerful. But it's also like, you know, I think often of Paul's uh, talk, I don't know where it is because I'm terrible at that stuff, but where he's talking about where people can't handle solid food, they have to have the milk. I think that's in Corinthian. Anyway, yes. Yeah. Um, And, you know, regardless of the contest, I don't know where it is. So I'm going to be a terrible biblical scholar here. I'm not even a biblical scholar, but terrible pastor even here and just say like, sometimes I wonder if preaching has been convincing people that they're eating solid food when they're, they're really Mm. just getting the basic milk and we aren't teaching people 
that they are fully and completely capable to read the Bible, to understand who God is, and to grapple with the text, with their faith, and so on and so yeah. forth on their own. I mean, that's a that's a, a great encapsulation of I think the problem is like this guy's a perfect example, right? Um, like, I think it's it's really tough though because on one sense, people like you and me, we do have education about the Bible and you know three theology degrees and and whatever, and so like there is a sense that like in some ways we are an expert, and it's good to share that with others. But what the problem is, is what you're saying, I think, is very much of that then creates this um, separation between us and, quote, regular people, ignoring the fact that we're regular people, too. Um, (laughs) Like (laughs) that, well, either I can't read the Bible because I don't know all these things or I don't need to because they know all those things. But Mm -hmm. either one is just as bad because it's like, like like Abby was saying when she was on here, it's like, I know it's hard. I know it's weird, but the Bible's really cool. And and like, you can just read it, you know, everybody can read it and get something out of it. And you don't have to know the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic, and you don't have to any of that stuff. And, and I think making the pastor, the expert, um, in whatever way that looks, can really contribute to the um, uh, obtuseness of Scripture, and it's, and it's obtuse enough on its own. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Like it, it's it is hard to read. But I remember I was doing a class, like a, a Bible study, one time, and it was basically just like basic hermeneutics, and we were focused on the Old Testament. And I had this person there, a friend of mine, and she's a lawyer, and very smart. She knows all this stuff, you know, all this kind of thing. And she said to me, I said something about hermeneutics and what it was. And she's like, I just don't get it. I don't know how you do that. And I was like, well, um, you do this every day. You just use the law (laughs) instead of the Bible. Right. As like, I mean, the legal profession is hermeneutics. They just look at case law and and the laws and not the Bible. (laughs) And you should have seen the look of just like, I never thought about it that way. And it's just like, see, like anybody can do this, but you're, you're in this world where you think that me or one of the other pastors is the Mm -hmm. ones who can do it the best. And it's like, it's not even true. Like, I can't tell you how many things I learned from people who have never been to seminary in their life, maybe didn't even finish high school. And I learned these deep theological lessons from them. And I I like to think they learned from me too, but it's just like this idea that, so yeah, that was my uh, long winded way of saying like, it makes it a very is stratified the right word uh like a very uh, a huge separation between the pastor yeah. and everybody else and it's just it's one it's not helpful and two it's not true <laughs> um you know it's a, it's a tough balance to find because you know they but i i wish that were not the case i wish people were not so either afraid or um willfully ignorant or whatever it is. And I wish people would just be like, no, no, you can do this too. And I want to know and hear what, what you get when you do it. And yeah, not from right. the sense of, so I can correct you and give you the right, right answer. Yeah. You know, like the Bible's not an answer book. <laughs> that's what I wish people <laughs> knew. <laughs> I think that's why this belongs in the conversation around preaching, because what preaching has done, or at least one of the things it's done is taught people this lesson that, is just so problematic that you've just, and so I want to just ground it in preaching because yes, I'm sure there's other factors to it, but a major place where this is communicated culturally, structurally is within the sermon to say, 
look, here's a guy who's up there and he's spent the whole week with this passage. He's grappled with it. And some weeks that's not even true. (laughs) Yeah. Some weeks it's not true. Um, Sometimes it's just watching a video and saying, okay, that's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Some weeks Um, it was, I needed an oil change and then my kid got hurt and then I needed a haircut and then somebody died. And so this is what you get. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, and so I want to I want to go into the question of do we need preaching? It's got a lot of problems with power. I think a lot of people are kind of in the same place as uh, us as they're listening because of the people who do listen to this. They they understand how power dynamics work and how they hurt so many people, especially when unchecked. Um, and most of the time, if we're going to buy the assumption, which I think we should, that power is not something really discussed around the act of preaching and what that means. There's the discussion around responsibility, but it's always grounded in truth, which can be abused and so on Mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, So with that and and with the expert mentality of what that does to people's faith and what that does to the community of faith, of revolving around a pastor, which we didn't get into too much, but that's how celebrity pastors are born is if they have a lot of good preaching and rhetoric and they're charismatic and and you don't have to be on TV to be a celebrity preacher either. That's right. Yeah. You know, right. Maybe that's a topic for another episode. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Um, So what, what, what do we do with this? What do we do with preaching? If we're going to create a new way of church uh, and be so bold as we've talked about, um, if we're going to do that, we already talked about, okay, what's it mean to deal with money? Uh, I suggested that we just uh, not pay pastors and we deal with money in unique ways. Ryan was less uh, bold as I was. or mh- I was a little chaotic. more measured, yes. Uh, <laughs> I said it uh, depends, what about, yes. Yeah, yeah. What about preaching? Um, mm-hmm. What do we do with that? You know, I think that part of me wants to say we should just try not doing it for a while and see what happens. I don't mean like outlaw preaching. I just mean like, what if in your church for the next month, there were no sermons and you know, can we still have church? The answer by the way is yes, you can have church without a sermon. (laughs) Um, But I wonder like, what would that be like? What would, you know, the, like that may be the answer as far as I'm concerned, but even I think, well, gosh, what would we do? You know? And so like, I, I think that, I will just, you know, come out on the, or, you know, not, play, lay my cards on the table. That's the phrase I was looking for mm-hmm. and say that I wouldn't, I, I would miss it if it were gone entirely. I would not get rid of preaching altogether. For me, I would love to see different kinds of sermons. I would like to see sermons done by more than just the pastor or pastors, you know. Um, I would like to see uh, us really rethinking what counts as a sermon. You know, so like even if it's a five-year-old kid getting up there and saying why they love Jesus, like isn't isn't that a sermon too? <laughs> you know, or yeah. um, it, it could be testimonies. It could. I mean, there's all kinds of things that I think could serve a similar role, and we'd still have church even if nobody said, "Turn your Bibles to this passage, and I'm going to tell you what it means." Right? Yeah. Or it'd be interesting if. Somebody who wasn't the pastor did that. Now, I mean, it could also be very interesting <laughs> depending on who it was. So I understand. I'm not just saying like, 
hey, the door's open. If you want to talk, go ahead. Although I would say it's interesting for the Pentecostal world. At the Azusa Street Revival and a lot of those early revivals, there wasn't a pastor and people would preach, but it was this person and then it was this person and mm. then it was then there was no approval committee they had to go through first. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I'm not I don't know that we have to do that, but um, and we probably shouldn't do quite that because some of the people I've met in churches are not very nice people. But um, <laughs> with all that being said, I really think that we would benefit from like tremendously expanding what we think of as preaching um, or what things can do a similar thing or can fill a similar like the role that preaching plays right now, what other things can do something similar for us. And I would love to, like, I've heard some sermons in my life that I still remember and were instrumental in like a big part of my life or a direction from God or whatever. So I would hate to see them gone entirely, but I would love to see them change a lot and us be more open to um, it looking a lot differently than they do currently. Um, and that'd be tough because like, you know, I, even with all of this that I said internally, I'm, if I'm hearing a sermon and it's not great, what does that even mean? Right. But yeah. I'm just like, I'm the first critic in my mind. I don't usually say that out <laughs> loud because I'm not a total dick wagon, but, um, so, you know, I'd have to learn too, is what I'm saying, but I, yeah. I think that would be good for us to just, you know, let's, let's try it totally different for a while and then we'll, We'll bring them back or they'll be part of it. But, you know, if there's something that's not Jesus that we think we can't have church without, then maybe there's a problem there anyway. Right. Jesus is the the, the one thing that you need for church. <laughs> so if it's not Jesus, you know, God, whatever, um, if we can't have church without that thing, then we that's kind of a problem, too, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, let's just see what happens. Let's let's. What if church was like actually a place where you could have fun and experiment and have freedom and not this thing of uh, rules and regulations and boring and um, <laughs> all these other things? I like that. Um, honestly, I thought we'd be in different places, but um, because of who I am, I go to the, the multiple you intelligences. You to just say, get rid of it just to say it, though, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought you'd actually be more measured than that, mm. um, than where you were. I thought that that's pretty um, radical, um, that's to be me. honest. Radical Ryan. <laughs> um, I'm the guy that likes to just destroy things and see what happens. That's not entirely true, but yeah. I, I multiple intelligences is what I was going to say. There's this theory that there are seven or eight intelligences, and that means there are seven to eight ways that people learn and how they really impact uh, their world, um, how, how the topics impact their world. And um, we use one, mm -hmm. we use one. Right. Um, maybe two if you do some kind of visual thing with it. Yeah, maybe two. You know, every once in a while there could be a video clip. There's, mm -hmm. there's right. that. There could be some music, whatever. But primarily one, right, yeah. for preaching. Yeah. For most of the worship service, you probably hit two or three because mm -hmm. you've got music and all worship. So that's one of the intelligences. Um, there could be some interpersonal stuff that happens there. Um but generally it's two to three in a worship service. Uh, 
And so we're not communicating the holistic nature of God um, because we're not hitting the holistic nature of his church. Um, and yeah. if we really believe that the body is the body and the body has different functions, but also different ways in which it perceives the world, right? The eye perceives the world a lot differently than the foot does. Mm-hmm. Why not have a sermon, quote unquote, time where you do that? So what if we have our sermon for this week is somebody who's musically gifted performs something that, you know, hit them that week. You know, you could you could uh, have some sort of structure around it. Like here's the biblical verse that we're going to be talking about and whatever. And maybe that's what you do for two months is you just talk about that passage in different ways. And what if music somebody would be read one. a poem or something, you know, yeah, like, right? like yeah. the one that they wrote or not, I don't know, but yeah. or isn't, isn't, is there a natural intelligence? There, there is. is like, yeah. Yep. What, what if one day you went to some beautiful spot in nature and somebody read a scripture and then you just all thought about it for a bit yeah. and sang a song, right? right? Like, yeah. I, you know, old me would say, well, that wasn't church, but I'm like, well, why the hell not? Yeah. You know? Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. That That's where, and See, I think that might be part of the reason why we haven't thought about it because um, the danger with talking about sermons and preaching differently means we have to talk about worship differently too, which we don't have time to do on this podcast today. But if worship service is centered around the sermon and your sermon is based off the nature intelligence, then you've got to do worship all different that week. Mm -hmm. You just have to because... Well, it's harder. Uh, it's a lot more work, isn't it? It's a lot more work, certainly. And yeah. it's a lot more discomfort because mm-hmm. it's outside of our way. If we're doing things, I mean, we might have multiple intelligences that go into a worship service, but it's primarily driven by linguistic. That's mm-hmm. what it's driven by, pure and simple. Yeah. If we had a, a worship service centered around a sermon that was naturalistic, then what would a worship service look like that is naturalistic? Because right now it's all coalescing around linguistics, but mm-hmm. take all the other, what would a worship service look like that is focused on um, music or the visual or, or whatever interpersonal boy, that would be crazy, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, that would that. be awesome. I think that worship service would just be, Hey, let's have a meal together. That's basically what that worship worship service would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's an element to that. Uh, now that we're talking about it, but that's where I would be. Let's let's try something else. Let's do something where it's outside the box and we think about how do others really resonate. You know, there, there are people that we didn't talk about this, but uh, when you're preaching, there are people who are always asleep. Always. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And you know, after or the a while people who are falling asleep and they yeah. do like the head knot where they're like, you're, you're losing them and they're gone. And then they're back up. And then yeah. They're, 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 you, know, <laughs> you see the uh, Simpsons episode where Homer falls asleep in church and he hits his head on the pew and he yeah. yells, damn it really loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I always say, I don't care if you fall asleep, you know, nah. I'm not taking it as a, that's the whole celebrity pastor thing, whatever. I don't know your life. It's probably a hard life or at least a hard week or whatever. Um, but an element of it that could be true is that maybe they just don't learn linguistically and they're mm-hmm. forced to sit through a sermon and they don't know what to do with that because it's not resonating with them. Or maybe their life is such that this is one of the few places they feel safe and so they fall asleep. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, like, who knows, right? Right. Yeah. So I'm all for let's shake it up. Let's do sermons differently. Let's approach worship differently. Um, 
burn it all down and see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> just like we've become so stuffy, you know, like we got to do everything the way it's always been done, even though this is not the way it's always been done. Like, right. I got to tell you, the apostles were not doing expository sermons in the way that you and I were taught to do them. Right. Um, right. And that's fine. I'm not saying we have to do it like they did either. I'm just saying it's not always been done the way that we do it, even though we've done it that way for a certain amount of time. I mean, I would remind people that the Christian faith didn't start in America. I know. I know that's, that's uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, Watch like yourself. It started with, coming. with a Jewish guy who went to synagogues, <laughs> you know, in the in Palestine, not, not in, uh, you know, wherever in the United States. So and my only point with that is, is like, it's almost like we think if we don't do it a certain way, then it doesn't count or that like God won't be there or that like, you know, and it's just like, you think that I just don't think God is stuffy like that. I think, you know, we talk about humans being being creative, but how creative must God be? Yeah. I mean, look around you. How creative is God, right? Like there's this tree I just moved <laughs> and there's this tree outside in my front yard where it's got these like weird pink like threads on it and there's butterflies and hummingbirds all over it. And it's, it's amazing. Right. And I've never even seen one before. And it's like, you go from there and then you find out there's these animals that they're still finding in the ocean that they didn't know existed. And some of them are like swimming horror shows and some of them are pretty neat to look at. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. how creative is God? Right. You know, and then we you think, see for me, one of the most interesting creative things is spider webs. Yeah. You see spider webs and it depends on the, the uh, species of spiders mm -hmm. that create a completely summer funnel. Some are these beautifully intricate things and just amazing. And it's the strongest material out right? there by, yeah. you know, or proportionally speaking or whatever. Right. right. And it's just like, or you look at birds and then you look at like, I, not just animals. I mean, like everywhere you look, uh, think about, look up in this, the sky at night and tell me that God is not creative. Right. Right. And and then yet we think if we try to do things a little differently than um, my grandmother did when she was in church, that God will be upset with us. It's yeah. just like, you know, if you're hurting people, God won't love that. I'm just going to say, don't hurt people. You know, be yeah. nice, be kind, love people. Other than that, like, God's not upset. Like, don't you think that, like, that you have kids is... I don't. So tell me though, if your kid does something very creative or something smart that they haven't done before, like, isn't that a neat thing to yeah, experience? It really is. So like, if you do that with your kid, can't you imagine how God must feel when God's kids are like that? Like, right. yeah. I don't know. I just feel like we we're all so serious all the damn time about everything. And sometimes <laughs> we need to be serious, but sometimes it's just like lighten up friends, you know, yeah. like, there are things in this world to be serious about many, many of them. The world's kind of a dumpster fire, but at the same time, like what songs we sing or whether we, we preach a sermon or sit out under the trees or dance or whatever it is we do. It's like, it's okay. And like, calm down, <laughs> you know, calm down. Like God loves you. Don't you think God is cool with you? Yeah. You know, like God doesn't like God even likes you. Imagine that, right? Like God, wants you to do things that are good and make you happy and that are creative and good for you. I know that's like a revolutionary thought because we've made God into this really boring accountant or something, yeah, but right. uh, no thanks, you know? Yeah.
Well, and if we put it like we bring it back to why we preach in the beginning, we preach to connect to God and to see a change in our life, whether that is in our relationship with God because we see him more fully or in our relationship with other people or even our relationship with ourselves. And if we're not accomplishing that, then we've got to try something different, right? We got to we got to try another way, even if it's a little uncomfortable. And maybe we need to ask the question, are there better ways for us to connect to God than what we're currently doing? Are there better ways for us to learn and grow and be uh, better people by our own standards? And I don't think that's too far-fetched. I think even within a structure like that, there's still a place to learn about the Bible, learn about Scripture, and certainly Scripture should guide everything that we're doing, but... And you can still preach sermons sometimes, too. Yeah. You know? You... Especially on the linguistic times that you sure. have that. I mean, along some with people others. learn that way really, really well. Yeah. So, like, don't stop that entirely, but... Right. Yeah, yeah one of my... Like the the thing that kicked off this whole thought about preaching was um, Doug Paget. He had at his church an interpersonal uh, preaching style, and so what he would do is he would meet with people throughout the week. Uh, they had a preaching meeting, and they were people who were very linguistically excited about the scripture, and they were people who would just read Bible all the time and. They'd come and they'd all talk about a text. Of course, it was pre-selected and so forth. They'd talk about that text. And then he would prepare a five to 15 minute little devotional thought. And then they would all talk about something within the text. And that was their sermon. It would last for 60 to 90 minutes sometimes because all they're doing is they're talking about it. And I thought, boy, not only is that like, my way of thinking. I process things out loud. So mm -hmm. to be able to talk with people is just, that would be a really helpful way for me to learn about the Bible more. But it's also really interesting because so did everybody else, right? You learn, as you just said, pastors learn more from their people than they ever do from their books. Yeah, their books guide them and give them tools, but uh, talking with people about the Bible and about their lives and their faith life, boy, that does a lot more than anything we could ever research. And to create an atmosphere where that happens, that's kind of what started this. And then as we were talking, especially as you said what you said, I thought, ah, oh, boy, yeah, seven intelligences or multiple intelligences, that would definitely be a grand experiment for me. Yeah. And so, yeah, why don't we just try a few things and see what happens? And, you know, you, I'm not a pastor. So some, I get some of this is easy for me to say, you know, on the other <laughs> hand, it's like, you don't have to tell your church next week. Okay. I'm not preaching anymore. We're going to go on a nature walk for the next two months. You know, like I, you know, I'm not a pastor, but I wouldn't recommend that. Yeah, don't do that. Do this, you know, um, I, I'm not a ministry consultant, but I'm just thinking that's not wise. However, what if it was like, you know, next week we're going to do this or next month we're going to do this. And then I'm having this person come in because she's really good at this. And, you know, like you can, you can pepper it in there. You don't have to just like, you know, throw the sermon out with the bathwater, but at the same time, um, yeah, I just wish we weren't so afraid all the time. Right. Like I think that's a big part of it too. And if, 
And that's got to be a problem if we run our churches based on what we're afraid of, whether that's afraid of God or afraid of the people who are there. If those are the main considerations we have, then something's gone wrong somewhere. And I, yeah. I get that, like, you could say, well, yeah, but that church doesn't exist where you don't have, to. okay, fine, I get it. But at the same time, it's just like, so be creative is all I think. We're, I think that's what we're really saying is like, there has to be room for more creativity in church than there has been in my life by and large. And, you know, we always complain about people aren't coming to church and it's like, well, I mean, church, church is, is kind boring. of boring, you yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> Why yeah. don't people come to this? We it's kind of boring, and we ask them for money, and they don't even believe what we do. So why would they? Like you know, yeah. like it's kind right. of an unrealistic expectation. Um, yeah. So yeah, just like well, and on top freedom. of that, I would I would add it's at least a way to move beyond power dynamics that are unhealthy within the preaching event, along with communicating something about God that's not true. Like God is not somebody who gives divine inspiration to pastors and pastors alone to know what it is to be a, a good Christian, to read the scriptures well and so forth and create a culture where we all look to the pastor as the one to solve all our problems, give us the spiritual guidance fully and completely and perfectly. Um, and both of the, I mean, doing a sermon like this, I think moves it away from that almost entirely because what we're doing is we're communicating that God is creative. That's the big thing that you were saying, um, that we're trying to reflect his creativity as a community, not as a single person, and that we are open to the multiple ways that God works instead of focusing on the mission and vision from a pastor or the power and charisma of a pastor and what he or she can accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's like, you know, you can't because of church realities and people being people, you can't start by just getting rid of sermons and you shouldn't anyway. But what if you started with, okay, so I'm going to try different formats. And I don't just mean like structure. I mean, like I'm going to do a narrative sermon where I, you know, tell a story instead of give you the three points in a poem or whatever it, whatever it used to be. Um, yeah. Or do some kind of audio visual artistic, you know, whatever it is like there's a lot of freedom here too. And, and Nate and I aren't trying to say, we know what will work best in your church. <laughs> and if you're not a pastor, we don't, you know, that's fine. But at the same time, it's like our, one of our, uh, frequent messages on this podcast is like, but try it, see what happens. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I think this is true for you too. You tell me if it's not, but personally, like I am just so damn frustrated of us doing the same exact thing, mm -hmm. whether it's about this or other things. And like, then we're like, well, gee, why isn't that? Why aren't things better in our churches? And it's like, well, gee, I wonder, I don't know. Maybe it's because this didn't work 40 years ago and we haven't changed it at all. Um, or maybe it works for these things, but not these other things. But we're trying to use the same key for 19 different locks, you yeah. know. And uh, so it's just it's very frustrating um, to feel like to feel stuck when we have the gospel, right? Like 
Correct. The guy, like we shouldn't, we shouldn't feel stuck. I mean, this is supposedly the best news ever, <laughs> right. right? This is like a universe altering thing that, that we know about and have experienced and continue to experience. And so, yeah, let's just not lock it up in our tiny little box and say, that's the only way it can be, whether that's about preaching or something else. Yeah. I'd be interested as we, uh, talk about other things. We, we of course, have a long list because we were just so excited last week. We thought, oh, there's all these things we could talk about. Think but we're of all interested. these things we could complain about. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and who knows what a church would look like if you did all of these to the fullest extent of what we're saying, which, of course, is not what we're trying to, to get done. We're just trying to give practical considerations of what a church could look like that takes this stuff seriously um, to pardon the, <laughs> the use of serious there. Um, I'd be interested to hear what other people that you folks who are listening, what's something that you wondered about? Does the church need this or could it do this differently? Or maybe it's just, Hey, I really don't like this in a church. Not, not necessarily, Hey, organ versus guitar or whatever, but, um, some people that I've talked to, they're just kind of weary of going to church as Christians anyway. Like we always, like in Lutherans, we always do this confession and absolution. It's always the same thing. In fact, we have like four things written out for it. If you're in traditional liturgy, what, how could we do confession and absolution differently? Now we probably won't talk about that one because that's not, it's a bit too peculiar to our tradition, but I'm just trying to say there's a lot of stuff out there that people are starting to think, hey, uh, this is actually really boring or bonkers. Why are we doing this? And first of all, if you're in that camp, it's okay. <laughs> That's our big thing. Second of all, we want to hear what those are. What are those things that you think need some shaking up or those things that have just really driven you nuts over the last few years or whatever? Just let us know because we'd love to talk about it and to explore more. Yeah, or you could tell us a story of like, I was having trouble with this. And so I tried this thing. And here's what happened. You know, yeah, I, I'm always interested in stories like that, whether it turned out well, or it didn't, or, you know, it just, you know, we don't have to share it with anybody unless you say that we can, but it would just be interesting to, to hear because we're just two dudes, you know, and, and we have thoughts, and that's great and ideas. And hopefully they Inspire some kind of creative process in you, even if you don't do any of the things we say. <laughs> like yeah. that's not, you know, we've never wanted this to be a here's how you here's how Nate and Ryan have decided to fix the church because, well, we don't know. I mean, we're I, the experts. It's right. That's what we're trying not to do. <laughs> but, you know, hopefully it's helpful to you, if only in the sense that it makes you think about what what can help in your context and your own story and your own location and what God's doing in your life and the life of the people around you. Um, yeah, I hope, I hope it's helpful for that. And if it is, we'd love to hear about it. Or if you want to tell us anything else too, you know, um, if you want to tell us why we're the best podcast ever or the worst podcast ever, um, no in between, it's one of those two options. I think we're either, you know, like the best of the best or, we're like, you know, golf levels of interesting. But um, either way, if you want to tell us anything, it's at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And 
I think that's it. I think, you know, thanks for listening today and we appreciate it. And I don't know what we're going to talk about next week, but it'll be something like this. Um, it might be, well, we are, I was going to make a joke about why you have to close all your churches down, but I guess we already did that kind of seriously. So, uh, never mind. So I don't have a joke to finish with. So I'm just going to say what I like to say is that whatever you do in your church, whether you stop preaching entirely or you take your people on a nature walk or anything in between, <laughs> it will be okay. I promise that it's going to be okay because God will take care of us. Bye.